This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. that I've been and, and, and the precursor is I say you know my church implantation got it in the first when I first did this they got it in the first couple tries let's see if you can do better so they all tried to beat you out <laughs> and they've got it but let me tell you there's no place like home there's no place like home so it's good to be back with you today it's a privilege to bring the word of God. Let's pray, Father God. Thank you for bringing me home. Thank you, Father, for another day of life. Father, be with the words of my mouth and let them be all and truly yours. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to take one answer from here and one answer from here. What does the word miracle mean to you? Anybody? Unexpected. Unexpected. Okay, you counted for, I'm going to count you for this side, Joe. What about for this side? What does the word miracle mean for you? Anybody? Say that again. To defy human reasoning. Beautiful. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 2. We're going to go head straight into the scripture here. John chapter 2. And here we are going to witness the very first miracle of Jesus. And it says here... On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. I love how they mentioned Mary at the very beginning, that the mother Mary was there. It doesn't say Joseph, so we can assume now that Joseph has already passed away. And it must have been pretty soon after 12-year-old Jesus was found at the temple by his parents and he was teaching the rabbis. And so if you kind of add up maybe 12 to 18 to 20 years plus, the 12 years that would put Jesus right at the beginning of his years in ministry when he was in his 30s. And it could have been that he waited that long because if, if his father had passed away, then he 
was now going to be the one to support his siblings. And so we set the background there, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, why was Mary here? We don't exactly know. Some scholars say that she was possibly a friend of the family because of what happened next and what she knew next. But she was there, and now Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. We know that in the previous chapter of John 1, we witness what Jesus just went through. He just was baptized into his ministry. It says in John 1, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, 132, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I, John, have seen and testified that this is the son of God. Move with me quickly back to Matthew. Sorry, Michael, I did not give you any of this stuff. It just came upon me as I was looking over it in the pastor's office one more time. It says in Matthew 3, verse 6, 17, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then right in chapter four, it tells you right where Jesus went after his baptism, after he was declared to the public that God declared him to be his son. Where did he go in Matthew four, verse one? Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So right after his baptism, he was sent and walked, an angel took him and walked him into this desert where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Three things happened to Jesus here. There were three temptations. One was physical. Do what feels right to you. Satan told him, turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry, so you can do this. But Jesus refused. And then was the next temptation, which was emotional. Throw yourself off this cliff. And if you are the son of God, then angels will be sent down to come and get you. So now this was a play on Jesus' emotions. Would his father, is he who, he who he says he is, would his father save him? But Jesus saw through the enemy and refused. And finally, control of taking the throne by force. Satan brings him up and says, look before you if you kneel to me and declare, then I will give you all of this. But Jesus already knew 
and he rebuked Satan one more time. This was what led, was, were the events that led up to the wedding in Cana. And after he had gone through baptism and temptation, then he began picking out his disciples. And in John 1, you'll see from verses 35 to 50, the few disciples he had already picked when he got to the wedding, he had about four or five of them. So he didn't have the full 12 yet. But now he's at a wedding. And what does this invitation say about Jesus? That Jesus blesses marriages. That Jesus blesses families. That in this wedding, when you invite Jesus and his presence, great things will happen. He's saying, when you invite me to be a part of not only the big things in your life, but the everyday little things, you will see me move. This is where Jesus was. And then it says, and when they ran out of wine, verse 3, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Symbolic things are already being said here. But first, Jesus, but first Mary, why does she run to Jesus first? Because she knows the power that is within her son. Because she knows it has been confirmed by God himself that this was his beloved son. And whether Jesus was ready for it or not, this was going to be the beginning now of his public ministry. And Mary was basically saying, here you go, son. Here's a problem. I know what you can do. But Jesus' answer, some of you may look at this and say, what a, what a strange way to address his mother. Not mother, but woman. Now, I've, I've, I've read many, many commentaries and research on this, and it is definitely not a term of disrespect. It is a full term of respect. But now he says, what does this concern have to do with me? You already feel the uncomfortableness in this text. You already see that now Jesus was distancing himself from his mother, but in a good way. He was saying anything now, basically, anything now that you are asking of me to do, you are now asking not your son, but your Messiah. So any request now, any miracle that you are going to request of me, this is whom you are requesting of, your Messiah. And then his, his question of what, how does this concern me? And in the, in the Greek, it's translated, what to you, to me? Why is this of concern? 
My hour has not yet come. Jesus was saying it is not time. You know, if you look through John and some of the Gospels, you will hear the sayings, my hour has not yet come. It is not yet time for me. Jesus knew. And in which hour is this, by the way? The hour of which? He would? He would? One more time? That he would die. But Jesus knew that by saying yes to this miracle, he looked ahead in time and already saw the miracles that he was going to perform in his Father's name. He saw the people that were going to hate him. He saw those who were going to speak against him. He saw himself upon the cross. And it would seem as if in his wordings that he wasn't going to do anything. But his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So slightly rebuked by her son, she realizes now her place in his public ministry, and it wasn't of a mother telling her son what to do. It was of someone letting the Messiah do what God tells him to do. And she has such confidence that he would do the right thing that she says, whatever he says to you, do it. Do we command God sometimes, church, when we need something to happen? Do we tell God, this is what I want done and this is the way I want it to happen? Father, I'm looking at that house to, to buy. I need it to be at this price, given by these people under these conditions. And sometimes he laughs at us. And he says, you just wait for me to do for you what I know is best for you. And so then he says, Jesus says, now there were set six water pots of stone. Before this, let me back up a bit. When they ran out of wine, this wasn't a good thing. When they ran out of wine, this was going to be a complete embarrassment for the family because the hosts of weddings, weddings are supposed to be joy. And when you drink wine, wine symbolizes the joy of the wedding. And so everybody is expecting the host to provide adequately for the wedding. And so when you run out of wine, this is not only an embarrassment, but a disgrace for the family that is hosting the party. This, in Jesus' time, would be talked about for a long time. The couple would not be able to recover. And plus, because the bridal host was expected to shell out money for this, they could also be... The word is not sued, but they could have to owe now people money for not being able to provide fully for their guests. 
You know, it's shameful when you run out of wine. I think about what happens at a Filipino party when you run out of rice. It's embarrassing. Maybe that is for the Caribbean culture too. When you run out of rice, it's all over, right? There's nothing to eat with the jerk chicken and everything. But to run out of the main essential would be a long thing to recover from. And so Jesus says, there were six, the Bible says there were six water pots of stone. Why stone? According to the manner of purification of the Jews, if it was earthenware, Bottles, vases, the water had a chance to become impure, but stone would keep the water pure. And it says here, they contain 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So this was set apart for purification rituals according to Levitical law. But now Jesus tells the servants, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. See, Jesus didn't say, first of all, he didn't need the servants to fill the water pots with water. Jesus could have done this. But he enlisted the servants so that they could receive the blessing of being a part of the miracle. See, when God calls you to a specific work in him, he's not asking just for you to do it. He can do anything without any of us. But he wants us to be a part of the blessing. And when we see the blessing happen, that's where the testimonies and praise come from. And so he offered this to the lowest of people who were there, the servants. He offered them the chance to be a part of this miracle. So now they went out and filled these water jars to the brim. And they obeyed and exactly did exactly what Jesus called for. Fill it to the brim. See, If they had been lazy and filled it only halfway, they would have only seen half a miracle. See, Jesus said, fill it to the brim. This is how far the generosity goes of Jesus. In filling it to the brim, it ensured that the wedding couple had wine left over now to distribute after the party and be sold. It was like a little wedding gift, big wedding gift to the couple. And Jesus, when he says fill it to the brim, it's because there's nothing else that was going to be added into it. Jesus was not going to just, he he wasn't gonna go into the creation process. He was just going to transform the water before their eyes. You know, I was in a play 
For years as a child growing up, a passion play entitled The Witness, and there always was this part where we would depict the wedding of Cana, and the choir director would say, all right, folks, when the water turns to wine, want everybody to react and go, oh, did you see, did you see? And so that did happen, and it took, oh, you know, I was young. It took me a little while because each time I thought that there was a miracle happening on stage for every single performance that we had. It was probably about three years later when I had the guts to ask, how is that happening? Because the actors are not Jesus. And I was told that there was um, grape Kool-Aid that was thrown into the into the stone water jars so that when water was poured in and then that was poured out, you could see the wine. But this was real. Jesus says, my generosity, my compassion reaches far more than you can ever imagine. I'm going to display my power today. You see, there's a process in making wine, picking the grapes, crushing the grapes, putting it through a purification process, all of that, and Jesus did it in that second. No one knows how the wine turned, the water turned into wine. But Jesus here showed that he had the power over creation. And if he has the power over creation, doesn't he then have power over our lives? Draw some of it out, draw some of it out, some out now, he said, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. See, these servants... Didn't know what was going to happen to the water. They had no idea what was going to happen except that they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And perhaps they thought, I'm taking it to the head steward, which is the head over all the banquet. The head steward is the one that checks the food, checks everything that's going to happen, and proclaims everything good. But they didn't know how Jesus, what Jesus was going to do. So when they're taking it, drawing it out and taking it to the head steward, could they be fired? Because could they be feeding the head steward water? And he said to them, take it to the master of the feast. They took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. Even he didn't know where it came from. But the servants who drew the water knew. I love it how the Bible outlines these things. That the servants, though they didn't know, now knew who made the miracle happen. They were a part of this miracle that God, Jesus, was doing. <coughs> Sorry. In Luke 137, it says, with God, nothing is impossible. Are you facing a time in your life now 
where you need a miracle. Where you need to see God move supernaturally over your life because you have done everything you possibly could and you see nothing happening yet. Let me tell you, there is a miracle waiting for you if you just believe. If you just believe in the God who is the perfecter of our faith. And he takes it to the bridegroom now. See, the servants didn't know, now they knew. The headmaster didn't, didn't know, didn't even know where this wine came from. The bridegroom has no idea. He takes it to the bridegroom and um, he said, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then they give the inferior second class wine. So that, you know, you'll think that you're drinking good wine at that point. And you have kept the good wine now with God. With God. With God. He always has the best for last. It doesn't matter what trial we're going through. God says, you wait on me. And you watch to see what I'm going to do for you. See, when we ask God for miracles, I'm going back to the, the filled stone water jars. When we pray and we ask God, do we ask God for half measures? Do we say, God, heal me of this cancer 25%? Do we say, God, I want my marriage to work maybe 40%? Do we say, God, my child who has an addiction, I want him to only come back to church half of the time? Do we ask God this? Do we say, Lord, my bank account is empty. Can you only give me $5? No, we ask God for everything. We ask and we believe. We say, God, I know that you can heal and you can restore. I know that you can rid this cancer out of my body. Heal me fully. When we ask God for our marriages, we say, I want a full relationship with you as a sinner. I don't want that divorce. I want a full solidified relationship with Jesus. When we ask for our children, we don't say, I only want them healed halfway. Because you know, God, the problems that we've had, only a little bit I want them to come to you. You say, I want my children to know you today for everything that you are. When you ask God for full things, he answers in full measure. He makes that miracle happen. He doesn't go halfway. This is the God that we serve. He says all things are possible through me if you believe in Jeremiah 32, it says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for our Lord? 
when he made miracles in the Bible. Thank you, honey. When he made miracles in the Bible, did he build that ark half built? Did he wait? And did he only close or say, God, close it now and half these animals are empty? No, he waited for God to move. When Moses parted the Red Sea, did he part it only halfway for some of the Israelites to get through? Or all of the Israelites to get through? When Esther prayed for her people, did only some of them get saved? Or did the whole nation get saved? When Jesus went and healed the sick and the blind, did he only say, I'm going to heal half of you today, and the rest of you got to come find me along the way. His healing and miracles were for everybody at full measure running over. You have something that you are asking God for. There's something that is testing your faith right now. And you're saying, Father, I need to believe. In Job 8, 5, verses 8 through 9, it says, But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? All you have to do is ask, and it will be given unto you. Perhaps not how you expected it to be, but how God knows you need it to be. To let the praises fall from your lips so you can say, this all belongs to you. Glory to you, God Almighty. Not my will, but yours. This was the beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee that manifested his glory And it says here, and his disciples believed in him. In the Greek, it kind of switches it on him. So when we say it believed on him, they submerged themselves into one with Jesus Christ so that they would believe. And this is what Jesus does. He converts and convicts us and then cleanses us. This is our Heavenly Father, do you need a miracle today? Do you need a miracle today? Are you willing to say, God, I am yours? Are you willing to say, take me, all of me, everything in me, all that I have done and the bad things too, and make a miracle in my life? There was a song by Ray Bolt. I'm only going to give you these lines. Before every miracle came, 
The song that Ray Bolt sings goes, Here comes a miracle. Here comes a miracle. Can't you feel it in the air? That look is on his face. His glory is in this place. For I know a miracle is here. Jesus, in this story, the symbolism goes far greater because Jesus says on the third day, what happened on the third day of his death? He rose again. This story is depicting him for the future as the bridegroom of us. And the wine is his blood that has been shed for all of you, for me too. And he is saying, if you need a miracle just like the wedding in Cana, the wine is still there for you. You know, when... You set out to do the work of God. Satan always comes along. And I haven't put too much or I've read all the prayer chats, but in, I haven't shared anything that's been going on with my family. But in June, Armando got sick and I teased him a little bit because when he gets sick, you know, he gets the man flu and men, when you all get sick, I mean, you all like die. Yeah. I love you all. I'm just messing. But you know it's true, right? <laughs> and so he was kind of dying the first few days, but then this infection didn't go away. And it kept at him. And I saw him physically losing weight, not being able to keep food down, being, being dizzy. And when he stood, he would have to sit. And so I said, Let's go find out what's really happening with you. We discovered that he had an infection and they gave him antibiotics to get through it. And he took them for the entire time that it said he needed to take them, but it wasn't making him any better. The nausea kept going. The vomiting kept happening. The losing weight was going on until he went again to the doctor, and they took a look at him, you know, and they said, whoa, hey, this is great, you've lost weight, because diabetics, you need to lose a little more weight, and you did need to lose weight, so good job. I'm like, wow, all right. And then, that day, they said, you know, everything's good with you. And then that afternoon, the doctor called and said, so your blood work came back, and you need to check yourself into the Miami VA emergency room right now because your kidneys have taken a hit and your levels are high. We need to bring it under control. And this, as I told you, we've been preaching from church to church. This was two days before I was to preach at another church. He was so reluctant, my husband, sometimes he can be stubborn as you all know so he went into the hospital I stayed overnight with him and he was already telling the doctors yes yeah, so I'm gonna be out in a couple days right 
going to be with my wife. We've got to get some stuff done. Doctors are like, oh, no. I'm going to stay in here just a little bit. And so I, two days later, I was preaching, and we decided to go visit Daddy. And when we visited, we didn't know that my husband had been so adamant about getting himself discharged. And the doctors were finally convinced. They looked at his levels. He was doing great. They discharged him under my care. And then lo and behold, on that following right the next day, Sunday, he started to get a little temperature. I was like, yeah, I told you. He said, it's okay. Just give me Tylenol. And I said, why are you so stubborn? He told me something that will remain in my memory. He said, Jen, I will not be the weakest link in your ministry. So this man is going to suffer no matter what in order for the ministry to be done. And I told him, honey, you and the kids are my first ministry. If you are not well, then my ministry, our ministry will not go well. Let's get you better. And so he did get better that week. This was the run-up to our women's retreat at Camp Kalakwa in which Elder Dion was a speaker. And you know, when before everything big, something happens. And this, the hospitalization of my husband pushed off planning for that week, and we had to do the last dregs of putting things done, I'm mean, getting things done in that Thursday and Friday. But God is good, and he worked a miracle through all the speakers and Elder Dion. She was phenomenal. And the women were just so happy to be there. Armando even complained, why does everything bad happen around my birthday? Which it did. And I said, it's because so you can say, praise God, I am still here. And so that week, the following week, which was last week, the adrenaline's, adrenaline's coming down, and now my family's just focused on packing to, get out, to, to, to finish so we can move. And I was asked for last Sabbath, Third, seventh, eighth, last Sabbath, I was asked by a church in Orlando to come and preach and, and give a message for a night program. I said, sure, I'll come and help you. And we did, and we went, and the scene was set for the wedding in Cana. It was a reenactment of it, and different speakers were asked, and I was asked to give a recount of some miracles in my life, and you know I have many of them. So I did. The night was beautiful. Things ended, and we were set to leave. We left at about 9.45, and you know the drive down here. So our GPS said ETA 1.10 in the morning. So Armando decided to drive the first couple hours. And then I looked at him in the last hour. I said, you need, let's switch. He said, yeah, that's a good idea. So we stopped off, used the restrooms one more time. And I'll tell you something. When I opened the van door to look at my children, the middle two seats occupied by 
David and Mikey, they were kind of reclined. And I got mad. And I said, put those, uh, you know, I don't even know why I was so vehement. But I said, put those seats up right now. We cannot drive like that. And they said, why? I said, because if we were ever to get hit, then you guys would flop back into your brothers. It would be more worse. Get your seatbelts on. Get your seat reclined. I mean, upright, let's go. And they were like, all right, mom, okay. So the drive started and they said, mama, put on the Disney songs so we can sing. So we were singing. Probably about 20 minutes in, it came out of nowhere. And I was in the left lane doing 75 miles an hour. And I felt the van swerve. And of course, what you do is you get it back straight. But as I was trying to do that, the van would not obey me. And it began to be a loose steering wheel. And I was fighting to get it back on the road, but I saw the left concrete barrier coming up at me. And I'm fighting, 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 and I'm yelling, and I know I'm gonna hit, but you know, you try to hit as soft as possible. And the van did hit, well, pam, to the left, which then set us careening to the far right, and not unable to get it back onto the road, hit the right guardrails. And now I'm fighting and fighting, and Armando is screaming, and I'm saying, I'm trying, the car is out of control, and we went straight across and hit the left one more time. And all I could think about was my children. And then as I fought to get it right back, it went right back to the right and hit one more time. And Armando told me there was a point where we were careening down the road with the van parallel to the road. And it was like after being hit on the right, it was like God slapped the van back into place so that we would be facing forward. And finally the car came to a stop and you can imagine, we were like a ping pong ball on that turnpike. And I feared the semis that drive at that time of night. But you know what? Traffic was all behind me. And nothing came by us. And as we sat there, you know, you kind of sit there going. <sighs> and I yelled out for David and Mikey, David, Mikey, we're here, mom, we're here. Joshua, Paul, silence. Joshua, Paul. And then uh, we're here. We just woke up. What happened? <laughs> and I could think nothing except the fact that we were alive. And right there I said, let's pray before we do anything else. Father God, 
Thank you for having your hands on my family. Now let us get home because I don't know what else to do. And when Armando opened the door, his door kind of fell out that way, and he realized that the grass and the ground beneath him were wet. And I said, walk around, maybe the tire blew something. Nope, all the tires are good. The cop came, and he was shining from the, he came on the right where Armando was. He shines his light on the van, and he says, what happens? And I, I don't know, officer. I don't know. I was singing to Moana. And this happened. I lost control. I don't know if I hit a little tire debris. I don't know if I hit, you know, when they, the, the, the lanes are uneven. I don't know what it was, but we hit four times. He goes, I can see that. And then he's like, how fast were you driving? I said, 75 miles an hour. And Armando just gives me this dirty look from the front seat. And when the officer took our licenses to go write their report, Armando goes, this is a 70 mile per stretch road. You could have said 70. I'm like, hey, in my panic, I said the truth. <laughs> he's like, expect a ticket. So he came back, the officer, he goes, and, and during this time, few minutes that he was gone, I turned to my kids and I said, was I dreaming? Was I asleep? Tell me, what did I do wrong? And they said, Mama, you were harmonizing with us to Moana. That's all you were doing. And suddenly the car jerked and now, I said, all right. So the officer came back and he says, tell me again. So I told him and then he said, you know what? It's possible that you hydroplanes. And when you hydroplane, you lose all control. And I said, follow us home. He says, I wish I could, even for a few miles, but uh, I got somewhere to be. Just drive home safely. So we drove. So before we started the car, the kids were like, thank you so much for being our parents. You told us to put our seatbelts on again. I'm like, you were supposed to have your seatbelt on. He goes, before you drive the car, Mom, pray again. So we prayed and we drove home at 40 miles per hour. We got home. <laughs> I'm not joking. We got home at around three something in the morning. And I didn't even want to go and look at the car. Because even the cop told me, he said, you don't want to report this to your insurance. Your insurance is going to spike. You're going to have to take care of this yourself if you want to do that. And I thought, I'm still trying to move. There's money that needs to be done with moving. I can't afford. Okay, all right. When I got home, we surveyed the car. And you can see it. It's in the parking lot out there. <sighs> My beautiful Hernandez Mobile. And even... My kids say, oh, should we drive that? And I said, boys, that is a testament of God's amazing grace. And I said, I looked at all the, the damages, and while we were driving home, I just couldn't speak. I was in such shock. And Armando kept telling me, talk to me, talk to me. And I said, honey, 
We just came from Orlando preaching about God's miracles. And he says, yes, and God gave us another one to praise him for. And I said, I don't understand. He said, honey, Satan has a target on our backs. But we are here to stand and say, but we got Jesus. So the next morning, Sunday morning, I saw Paul walk over to the window flick back the curtains and just put it back. He's like, oh. And I said, what? He goes, I thought in the morning it'd look better, but it's still there. <laughs> and then I just felt really, I needed a word. And I was trying to understand. After the things that happened with Armando, I was just trying to understand what's going on. So I called Pastor Mike because he deals in spiritual warfare. And I said, Pastor Mike, there is this battle and I don't understand, and when will it end, Pastor? And he said, honey, you're serving the Lord, it's not going to end, but you have Jesus. So then I called Elder Dion because I needed her to pray for me because you know that when she prays, she brings heaven down. And what she said to me, she said, Pastor Jen, your position, your new position has set you apart. And Satan can see all these women that you are freeing. And he sees that your sons are there at these retreats and churches and your family is helping you side by side. And she said, and he's saying, well, all these little things, because Satan comes after us, right, with the things that mean dear to us. And she's saying, Satan was going to shock the community tonight to take you out. But God said, that is my child. Those are my children. This is not going to happen. Pastor Jen, you will see a breakthrough. We're going to pray for you. And I told her, I don't even know how I'm going to pay for the car, but I know that the God who gave me that car will take care of that car. And she said, I'm asking the Lord to send one of the warrior angels encamped around my house and to send it on to yours because we are going to go to battle for you. Jesus, take the wheel. Because I can't do it anymore. Jesus, I'm letting go. You take it. Do you need a miracle in your life today? Jesus says, I am here, your Savior, waiting to offer you living water in the form of my blood. The wine is still here for you today. I should not be standing here. My family should not be sitting there. But we are here as a testament to God's amazing grace. Amen. 
In Deuteronomy it says, He is your praise and He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. I'm telling you, I have witnessed God on another level. And these are the things that I have seen. And if God can make a miracle happen in my life when even the words can't come out, but Jesus is in my head, he can do it for you too. Nothing is impossible for our God. And so now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power of God that works in us. To Him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations. Amen. with us as we close. And with all that was said and done, Pastor Jan, just remember, he's your way maker. Yes, he is. Yeah.
when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You'll never stop, you'll never stop working. You'll never stop, you'll never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You'll never stop, you'll never stop working. You'll never stop, you'll never stop working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And even when I against all principalities so when we look back we can say 
It was all you, Father. We wait for the miracle, and God, I claim that miracle in your name, Father. We are here, Waymaker, Miracle Worker. We are here, Father, trusting in you. So we claim every good thing that you have in store for us. We claim the miracle that is coming our way. And we will continue to say, Hallelujah. You are God. In your name, amen. Even when I don't see it, you're working. was brought to you by Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.